Hi, welcome to another episode of Analyzing Mormonism. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about what's called the Lowry-Nelson letters. So there's a lot of people that will argue about whether the ban on the blacks going to the temple or having the priesthood was doctrine or not. And this is very clear, gives us a very clear picture uh, that it was in fact doctrine. And I don't think a lot of people have heard of the Lowry Nelson letters. So that's what we're gonna, that's all we're doing today is just reading through these letters. Just to give a little bit of context, they're trying to open up Cuba for missionary work. And they're they're getting a hold of this guy named Lowry Nelson. And they're like, hey, is this a good spot to do missionary work, to open this up for the church? And he was like, I have, I'm a little bit worried about that. Um, and anyway, so this is just their communication to try to spread the gospel. So, okay, so there's eight letters total, but then there's also another document before the eighth letter that I wanted to talk about also, which is a release from the first presidency. So I will be the church and you will be Lowry Nelson. Do you want to wear your hat? No, <laughs> I have a Joseph Smith. I have a white top hat that I use sometimes when I'm trying to be Joseph. So, but we're not going to do that today because it's not Joseph. <laughs> okay, so letter number one is this is the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints. So it has the letterhead on it. And this is June 20th of 1947. Heber Meeks, Mission President. Dr. Lowry Nelson, University of Minnesota, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Dear Lowry, a short time ago at the request of the First Presidency, I visited Cuba in view of doing missionary work on that island. While there, I met Mr. Chester W. Young, who was in Havana representing the Nation Office of Vital Statistics, Pan American Sanitary Bureau. He was very helpful to us, and in the course of our conversation, I learned that he was very well acquainted with you and wished to be remembered to you. We found both his wife and him to be very delightful and charming people. He advised me that you spent some two years in Cuba making a study of rural communities. Your study there would be very helpful to us. I would appreciate your opinion as to the advisability of doing missionary work, particularly in the rural sections of Cuba, knowing, of course, our concept of the Negro and his position as to the priesthood. Are there groups of pure white blood in the rural sections, particularly in the small communities? If so, are they maintaining segregation from the Negroes? The best information we received was that in the rural communities, there was no segregation of the races, and it would probably be difficult to find, with any degree of certainty, groups of pure white people. I would also like your reaction as to what progress you think the church might be able to make in doing missionary work in Cuba in view of, particularly in the rural section, the ignorance and superstition of the people and their being so steeped in Catholicism. Do you think our message would have any appeal to them? My observation, and we made some very fine contacts with outstanding leaders in many of the fields of activity, was that in the urban communities, there are groups of which we could make an appeal, particularly with the youth program of the church. Many of the leaders expressed themselves that there was a great need for such a program as our church has in their communities. I assure you, I will deeply appreciate any information you can give me along the lines as indicated. With kindest personal regards and best wishes, I am sincerely your brother, Heber Meeks, signed Mission President. Okay, so that was the first letter. Do you have any thoughts about that? Racism. The, he made it very clear that um, they're racist. Yeah, like we, um, like very clear. But let's pure let's white see. people doing missionary work. Is are they mixing? Like this is. Well, I have to know this. They need to be pure white. But he's like he's acknowledging like the good that the church can do in the communities. But they're like we're not going to give it to you. We only give it to white people. Yeah. Okay. This is letter so. two. June twenty sixth, nineteen forty seven to President Heber Weeks, 485 North Avenue, Northeast Atlanta, 5, Georgia. Dear Heber, it is nice to have word of you after so many years. I am writing this, as you see, from our alma mater, where I am teaching the first term of the summer session. A thousand memories of student days flood in upon me every day. It is pleasant to see old friends and to make new ones among those who have joined the staff since I left. Yes, I spent a year in the Caribbean from September 1945 to September 1946. Most of my time was spent in Cuba, but I managed to get to some of the other islands as well. I have nearly completed a book about Cuba, but it will be some time before it is published. I was pleased to have word of my friend Chester Young, whom I saw in Havana and also in Santo Domingo during my year down there. The attitude of the church in regard to the Negro makes me very sad. Your letter is the first intimation I have had that there was a fixed doctrine on this point. I had always known that certain statements had been made by authorities regarding the status of the Negro, but I had never assumed that they constituted an irrevocable doctrine. I hope no final word has been said on this matter. I must say that I have never been able to accept the idea, and never shall. I do not believe that God is a racist. But if the church has taken an irrevocable stand, I would dislike to see it enter Cuba or any other island where different races live and establish missionary work. The white and colored people get along much better in the Caribbean and most of Latin America than they do in the United States. Prejudice exists, there is no doubt, and the whites in many ways manifest their feelings of superiority, but there is much less of it than one finds in USA, especially in our South. 
for us to go into a situation like that and preach doctrine of white supremacy would, it seems to me, be a tragic disservice. I am speaking frankly because I feel very keenly in this question. If world brotherhood and the universal God idea mean anything, it seems to me they mean equality of races. I fail to see how Mormonism or any other religion claiming to be more than a provincial church can take any other point of view. And there cannot be world peace until the pernicious doctrine of the superiority of one race and the inferiority of others is rooted out. This is my belief. In reference to Catholicism, while the Cubans are nominally Roman Catholic, they take the religion rather lightly. Wherever I went, I asked rural people about the church, and invariably they told me that they saw the priest only once a year when he came around to baptize the babies at $3 per head, like branding the calves at the annual roundup. Some families have crucifixes and other paraphernalia in their homes and carry on something of the ancient ritual, but my impression is that it means little to most of them. The Methodists, Presbyterians, and Baptists have, as you know, done a great deal of missionary work in the island and have rendered Cuba a great service in maintaining schools, hospitals, etc. However, they have limited their work largely to the urban centers. There is a great service to be rendered rural Cubans if the right approach were made. Mormonism is well adapted to render such service with its system of lay leadership and many activity programs. Many rural Cubans have nothing in the way of organized social life. To them, the family is the basic institution and beyond it, the neighborhood. Our church would provide them with something very sorely needed. It would develop leadership among them, provide them with hope and aspiration, give them a feeling of importance as individuals which they have never had. They have been exploited by priest and politician. They have been led to believe that the government is not any of their responsibility and that the church is the business of the priest and the bishop. While there is a great deal of individualism among them, they have definite and discernible feelings of inferiority when it comes to matters of leadership. I am talking about the white people now. The rural people are predominantly white. That is, they are as white as Mediterranean people are, Spanish, Italians, etc., who have been in contact with color for centuries. The Moors occupied Spain, you know, for seven centuries. There are no pure races. On this, anthropologists are in general agreement. Of course, this does not mean that Negro blood exists throughout the white race or vice versa. There is grave doubt, however, as to the purity of the Nordic, Mediterranean, or even the Negro. Because I think our system of religious organization could serve the rural Cuban people as no other system could, I am sad to have to write you and say, for what my opinion is worth, that it would be better for the Cubans if we did not enter their island, unless we are willing to revise our racial theory. To teach them the pernicious doctrine of segregation and inequalities among races where it does not exist, or to lend religious sanction to it where it has raised its ugly head would, it seems to me, be tragic. It seems to me we just fought a war over such ideas. I repeat, my frankness or bluntness, as you will, is born of a fervent desire to see the causes of war rooted out of the hearts of men. What limited study I have been able to give the subject leads me to the conclusion that ethnocentrism and the smugness and intolerance which accompany it is one of the first evils to be attacked if we are to achieve the goal of peace. I trust you will understand my writing you as I have. Sincerely, Lowry Nelson, signed. CC President George Albert Smith. Okay, do you have thoughts on this letter that we just read? He is awesome. and Lowry Nelson, yeah. yeah he's incredible and like way ahead of his time in yeah. the 40s. And he's like, yeah, I've been there for a year. And he's like, no, God's not racist. Like, and, and these people are just, they get along just fine with each other. So like, don't, we cannot introduce this there. Like, yeah, I like that. And where's that line? He said, it would be better for the Cubans if we did not enter their island unless we are willing to revise our racial theory. And he's absolutely right. Um, having lived among Hispanics in America, which is different, but there is still some um, amount of superiority of lighter-skinned people, but it's different. There's less racism because Hispanic people are Caucasian, essentially. Like, <laughs> it's just a gradient from white to black. And there's Hispanic peoples who are, are very black and their Hispanic people are very pale. So it's like eh. going in and um, trying to draw a line uh, in a place where they've accepted that it's a gradient. Like, why would you do that? Anyway, so I agree with his point. Oh, yeah, for sure. 100%. And I love that he says, there cannot be world peace until the pernicious doctrine of superiority of one race and the inferiority of others is rooted out. He just like, point blank, this has to just leave any religion. When was World War II happening? 1939 to 1945. The World War II that was regarding um, Jews and Nazis who were believed that there was one pure race. 
had just barely ended two years before. And the, then the church is like, oh, yeah, we, we want a place that's only pure white people. Like, so obviously, like, Nazi ideals. Yeah, and he also says there are no pure races. Everyone agrees that there are no pure races anymore at all. It's really interesting to me, I think, that I didn't know this. I, like, growing up in a predominantly white neighborhood, white town, white state, I didn't know that there is not white race and a black race, like, that there's only one race of human beings. But clearly we knew this as far back as the 40s. Well, also he points out, he says, um, what does he say about the United States? And how he's like, these countries are way better than the United States. Yeah, and I guess that's my point, is that I, growing up in the United States... In the 90s, I was still taught that there was separate races. Right. And like, oh, racism is bad, but there's separate races. And Yeah. Yeah, I really feel like they push this, at least here know. in the States. But, and like, and like, it feels like a new idea to me that, oh, we all came from black. Uh, and then we went across the world and we just, some of us lost pigmentation over the millions of years. This idea is not new, it turns out. As far back as the 40s, at least, and and the church knew this. But it's still pushing. And, yeah. And so until, they, the church still didn't give blacks the priesthood until 1978, so. Which is another 30 years after this. Yeah, super gross. I like it that he says, for us to go in and preach white supremacy, it would be a tragic disservice. Tragic, literally. It would be tragic, and, like, people would be hurt. Yeah. And people are killed by this kind of white supremacy. Yeah. While we were reading, I was also wondering if it can be equated to LGBTQ and how, like, um, like when when is this going to change? Like, is it sort of similar? It feels like, similar to me. But also, like, the this idea, he's like, um, to go to a place like Cuba to try to draw this line is, we, we can't do this. But also, like, some... I also think the missionaries should never knock on people's doors that are like us, like a gay couple or who have a family that's together. I think that's a, tragic, a tragic disservice. disservice. If, they, yeah. if we were convinced of the gospel and then we're like, hey, in order to be baptized, we have to break up and you need to be married to a man and I need yeah. to be married to a man. Like we have a, a happy, sustainable family that's like taking care of each other and like all our kids are happy and doing the best that we can and you're going to break that up just to what why like what is right. what does it benefit anybody it doesn't benefit anybody anything right and especially because i i really think that the church is only holding on to homophobia because they need a bad guy and this is the easiest one to have right now. And all the other um, fundamentalist Christian religions that are hanging on to the, the Trump bandwagon, they all agree the bad guy is gay people and trans people. So, and they need a bad guy. So, that's super gross. Anyway, we can talk more about that, but let's um, go to letter three. Okay, anyway, so this is letter number three. So this is also Lowry Nelson. So on the same day that he wrote that letter to Heber Meeks, he's sending another letter to President George Albert Smith, um, probably because he's very concerned. So June 26, 1947, President to President George Albert Smith, 47 East South, South Temple, Salt Lake City, Utah. Dear President Smith, I am in receipt today of a letter from President Heber Meeks, an old school friend, copy of which I am enclosing together with a copy of my reply. It is self-explanatory. Perhaps I am out of order, so to speak, in expressing myself as I have. I have done so out of strong conviction on the subject, and with the added impression that there is no irrevocable church doctrine on this subject. I am not unaware of statements and impressions which have been passed down, but I had never been brought face to face with the possibility that the doctrine was finally crystallized. I devoutly hope that such crystallization has not taken place. The many good friends of mixed blood, through no fault of theirs, incidentally, which I have in the Caribbean and who know me to be a Mormon would be shocked indeed if I were to tell them my church relegated them to an inferior status. As I told Heber, there is no doubt in my mind that our church could perform a great service in Cuba, particularly in the rural areas, but it would be far better that we not go in at all than to go in and promote racial distinction. I wanted you to know my feelings on this question and trust you will understand the spirit in which I say these things. I want to see us promote love and harmony among peoples of the earth. Sincerely, Lowry Nelson, signed. 
thoughts on that one? Um, I love his backbone. He's like, I'm not just going to go to you, my friend. I'm going to go straight to the prophet of the church and say, hey, man, this right. sucks. Perhaps I am out of order, so to speak, in expressing myself as I have. I have done so out of strong conviction on the subject. Like, I know I might get in trouble for this and I might be out of place, but like, no, we can't go to Cuba. And he's like, I'm not unaware of the rumors that have been going around, but like I, and, he's, and he uses the word, um, I had not been brought face to face with the possibility that the doctor was finally crystallized. So he, So I wonder how recently um, the racism had been begun being preached in the church because Wait, what do you mean like, by that? What, was Joseph Smith teaching that? Joseph I mean, was, he was yeah. Joseph was against um, a lot of things. He was he was I'd say he was pretty racist, but then whenever he did his when he was running for his presidency, he changed his mind. He was like we want to sl- free all the slaves gradually and we'll use the money from the land to to help free them um but then it changed back or is the word de- regress or whatever with brigham young and he was like yeah we don't need to be abolitionists we don't need to we don't need to do any of that and like he was like he said some okay statements and they said some really really racist statements was brigham the one that one drop the one drop yeah. of negro blood yeah yeah, yeah. hang on let me, let me just go to my website really fast um, so you asked when the racism began. It just never was not a thing. <laughs> so like 1845, John Taylor is speaking in times and seasons. It's pretty racist. Okay, John Taylor, 1845. Um, so that's 100 years before. The descendants of Ham, besides a black skin, which has ever been a curse that has followed an apostate of the holy priesthood, as well as a black heart, have been servants to both Shem and Japheth, and the abolitionists are trying to make void the curse of God, but it will require more power than man possesses to counteract the decrees of eternal wisdom. Okay, so this, the, all this racist stuff deserves its own episode. I just wanted to talk about the Lowry Nelson's letters today, but like, yeah, so Curse of Cain... Um, they were, they sinned in their pre-existence. There's a lot of stories, awful, awful things. A man who has the African blood in him cannot hold one jot nor tittle of priesthood. Yeah, so that was in his, in the teachings of the president, of President Brigham Young, volume three. Um, Journal of Discourses, he says a lot of things that are just as bad. George, uh, George A. Smith also, lots, anyway, so these, these are on my website as well if you want to look through them, but this deserves its own episode. Wait, wait, this is Brigham Young. Shall I tell you the law of God in regard to the African race? If the white man who belongs to the chosen seed mixes his blood with the seed of Cain, the penalty under the law of God is death on the spot. This will always be so. Yeah, there's a lot of horrible things, too. So, like, people were blood atoned because they were flirting with the, the idea of mixing seed. They hadn't even done it yet. Like uh, Thomas Coleman, yeah, Tommy, um, yeah, so he was a black man who had, I guess, been hanging around some white women, and he was blood atoned, meaning that his head was nearly taken from his, entirely from his body. He was removed from the church below his ears, is the way that yeah, and they left Yeah, and they left a, a pencil-written paper on his chest that said, like, some, like horrible, horrible stuff. Like, I don't even want to repeat it, but anyway. Yeah, so, and then even in the ju- juvenile instructor, again, this deserves this whole, it's its own episode, because there's just so many things. But yeah, so anyway, so the question is, um, um, were the church, the church just never stopped being racist. Okay. Um, but also, hang on, my, my thoughts were about LGBTQ stuff as well. I want to see us promote love and harmony among people right. of the earth. and I love that. And like, and right now the church is... It's holding up an enemy that doesn't need to be an enemy. Like, like there's nothing wrong with being LGBTQ. There's nothing. We're great parents. Like, studies show that across the board. They were great people, good parents. There's literally nothing wrong with us. We're not inferior at all. And neither were the black people. And also, he says, concerning the black people, he says that through no, what does he say? Through no fault of their own. Mm-hmm. Like, w- people being are born a, gay. Like, people yeah. are born black. People are born every color. Like, and in lots of situations and yeah, in like, lots of places. Like, you can't determine where you're born. And they're they're literally holding that against us. I can feel for... Lowry. Yeah. Okay, so this is um, the Secretary of the First Presidency. So this is July 1st. So when was that one again? July... Or June 26th, so like a week later. Maybe not even. It's pretty fast for snail mail. Yeah. Okay. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Office of the First Presidency, Salt Lake City, 1, Utah, July 1st, 1947. Dr. Lowry Nelson, Utah, State Agricultural College, 
Logan, Utah. Dear Dr. Nelson, your letter on June 26th addressed to President Smith has been received. However, it did not contain a copy of your letter to President Meeks. I shall then be in a position to bring your communication to the attention of the president. The matter is incomplete without this letter. Faithfully yours, Joseph Anderson, signed Secretary of the First Presidency. So that was like kind of a pointless letter. Yeah. It's like, hey, you forgot to attach these <laughs> files. <laughs> like, you forgot your attachment. You, you, <laughs> the, the 1940s version of that. Um, you forgot to attach this. Okay. The First Presidency, right? So this yep. is my turn. Okay. So, uh, so hang on. Also, that was the first. And so he doesn't, they don't get back to, to Lowry Nelson until July 17th. So like two weeks, two weeks later. Snail mail. Snail mail. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, Dr. Lowry Nelson, Utah State Agricultural College, Logan, Utah. Dear Brother Nelson. This is from the First Presidency. As you have been advised, your letter on June 26th was received in due course. Two weeks. <laughs> And likewise, we now have a copy of your letter to President Meeks. We have carefully considered their contents and are glad to advise you as follows. We make this initial remark. The social side of the restored gospel is only an incident of it. It is not the end thereof. The basic element of your ideas and concepts seem to be that all of God's children stand in equal positions before him in all things. Your knowledge of the gospel will indicate to you that this is contrary to the very fundamentals of God's dealings with Israel, dating from the time of his promise to Abraham regarding Abraham's seed and their position vis-a-vis God himself. Indeed, some of God's children were assigned to superior positions before the world was formed. We are aware that some higher critics do not accept this, but the church does. Dr. Lowry Nelson, your position seems to lose sight of the revelations of the Lord touching the pre-existence of our spirits, the rebellion in heaven, and the doctrines that our birth into this life and the advantages under which they, we may be born have a relationship in the life heretofore. From the days of the prophet Joseph, even until now, it has been the doctrine of the church, never questioned by any of the church leaders, that the Negroes are not entitled to the full blessings of the gospel. He's even admitting right here, we've always been racist. <laughs> Furthermore, your ideas, as we understand them, appear to contemplate the intermarriage of the Negro and the white races, a concept which has heretofore been most repugnant to most normal-minded people from the ancient patriarchs till now. Ew. God's rule for Israel, his chosen people, has been endogenous. Modern Israel has been similarly directed. We are not unmindful of the fact that there is a growing tendency, particularly among some educators, as it manifests itself in this area, toward the breaking down of the race barriers and the matter of intermarriage between whites and blacks. But it does not have the sanction of the church and is contrary to church doctrine. Faithfully yours, George Albert Smith. Signed, J. Ruben Clark Jr., David M. K., the First Presidency. Uh, yeah, so endogenous, we have the definition here. Endo- endogenous, adjective, having an internal cause or origin. So God's rule for Israel, his chosen people, has been um, having an internal cause or origin. I would interpret it endogenous to mean um, God's rule for Israel, his chosen people, is to mix with themselves. Let's keep it in the family. Stay in here. Okay, hang on. What were your thoughts overall? I I hated this letter. Tell us about that. Well, like, it's so bad. They're like, oh, and I think it gets worse later. I remember one of the letters being kind of bad. I mean, this is already really bad. So he's like, yeah, there's people that want to be progressive and teach that this is okay, but, like, no. That's not us. And he's like, what your beliefs are contrary to the very fundamentals of God's dealings with Israel. He's like, God sanctioned racism. God sanctioned white supremacy. Like, why are you arguing with this? Also, like, it has been the doctrine of the church never questioned by church leaders that they're not entitled to the, the blessings of the gospel. Like, why have you never questioned it? And, like, this is one of the things that the women were doing in 2013. This is one of the things the women were doing in 2013 when they're like, can you just ask God if the women can have the priesthood? Like, can you just ask? Can you just question that? Can you just ask a question? The all of Mormonism was based on one person asking one question. And they're, they're, like, just not going to ever ask anything again? Well, um, that would be something you would do if the church was led by God. Is to ask questions? Is but to receive I guess church... continuing revelation. Right. Like, you have, you have a, you can call God whenever you want. He's a phone call away. <laughs> well, anytime, anywhere. Yeah, like. Just ask. But maybe it's embarrassing to them because they're, like, Oh, if we ask questions or change our doctrine, it looks like we're not talking to God because we're just changing our mind a lot. I, I like don't yeah. I don't and understand. Are, and they have and they will. <sighs> what, what one recently recently one of the one of the apostles was like, 
church leaders don't just make up whatever doctrine they want whenever they feel like it. I'm like, yeah, they do. They, they, they kind of they, do. They kinda do. <laughs> Actually, what really happens is the world changes and then the church follows. Well, and Holland pointed that out. He's like, the world goes here and we go here. And, and then, like, they go here and we go here. And, like, then we're really dangerously far away from where we started. And culturally, here's kind of what happens. Uh, the world is here and and we're more we're more conservative here and we we we're we're not going to do what the world does you know live together or 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 never get married or whatever but as as the world progresses cultures change they go here and then we go here and then they go here and we go here and and before long you look up and we're perilously close where, where, where we would never have thought to be before. So let's uh, stay fixed on gospel principles and not cultural uh, issues and not the societal uh, commitments of the time. I've said too much. Like, so you're admitting that you are not progressive in deciding how to treat humankind at all. You're just following what the world does. Being unable to change is admitting that you cannot learn anything new. We have all the answers. We know everything. Also, he's talking about the pre-existence, and this is from the first presidency. He's like, the revelations of the Lord touching the pre-existence and the rebellion in heaven. So they're confirming, Larry, yeah, you know this, Lowry. This isn't just, these aren't just rumors. <sighs> Some of God's children were assigned to superior positions before the world was formed. This is totally normal. It's okay to have people be inferior. I just don't believe in a God that that feels this way. Well, Lowry doesn't either, because he's like, no, God's not racist. But let's get to Lowry's letter, shall we? Is Ooh, this his response? This is a long letter. Oh, yep, that's his, his letter's very written. <laughs> he's going to give him what for. All right, brace yourselves, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. Department of Agriculture University, Farm St. Paul, 1, October 8th, 1947. So that's July, August, September, October. So it's like three months later. To the First Presidency, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, 47 East South Temple, Salt Lake City, Utah. Dear Brethren, your letter of July 17th sent to me at Logan was forwarded here, but I had already left for Europe and so did not get it until I returned to my office September 8th. I want to thank you for it and the attention you gave me. The letter is, however, a disappointment to me, as you may surmise it would be, from what I said in my letter to President Meeks. It seems strange to me, in retrospect, as it must have seemed to you, that I should have never before had to face up to this doctrine of the church relative to the Negro. I remember that it was discussed from time to time during my boyhood and youth, in priesthood meetings or elsewhere in church classes, and always someone would say something about the Negroes sitting on the fence during the council in heaven. They did not take a stand, it was said. Somehow, there was never any very strong conviction manifest regarding the doctrine, perhaps because the question was rather an academic one to us in Farron, where there were very few people who had ever seen a Negro, let alone having lived in the same community with them. So the doctrine was always passed over rather lightly, I should say, with no scripture ever being quoted or referred to regarding the matter, except perhaps to refer to the curse of Cain, or of Ham and Canaan. I went back and reread the letter the other evening. It was difficult to find any element of justice in Noah's behavior toward Ham, since the latter merely reported to his brothers that his father was lying there in a drunken state and in a nude condition, and the other boys put a cover over him. Because Ham reported his father's condition, he was cursed. <laughs> He's like, this is stupid anyway. But anyway, I really have never come face to face with the issue until this summer. In the meantime, since my youth, I have chosen to spend my professional career in the field of the social sciences, the general purpose of which is to describe and understand human behavior. I probably should have had less difficulty with some of these problems, such as the race problem, had, a rem had I remained in agronomy and chemistry, my undergraduate fields of specialization. Be that as it may, my experience has been what it has been. As a sociologist, I have sincerely tried, and am still trying, to understand human social relations, the varied forms of organization, the processes of conflict, cooperation, competition, assimilation, why peoples and cultures differ one from another, etc. As one studies the history and characteristics of human societies, one soon comes to recognize certain basic principles. One of these is social change. Any given society over the years undergoes changes. It is forever in a state of flux. 
Some scholars have regarded such change as progress and have even considered that progress as inevitable. Others chart the rise and fall of civilizations and think in terms of cyclical change. Others express still different hypotheses, but none of them consider society as a static entity. Another principle which stands out as one studies the development of cultures is the tendency of institutions to resist change. Although they are established or grow up, Originally, as means to the end of satisfying the needs of man, they, the institutions, tend to become ends in themselves. It seems to me that Jesus was trying to get this point over to the society of his day when he spoke of putting new wine in old bottles and that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. This was an affront to the legalism of the Pharisees and others of similar outlook. And of course, the institutions had to be protected even at the cost of his crucifixion. Now, what does this add up to in my thinking? It means that, one, if one accepts the principles of cultural or social change and applies it to the Hebrews, the Old Testament history of the group is interpreted accordingly. In their early stages of development, they had beliefs and practices, many of which were subsequently supplanted by other ideas. Jehovah, to the Hebrews of the Pentateuch, was essentially a tribal deity. It was not until Amos that the idea of a universal God was proclaimed and the concept of God as love was an essential contribution to the mission of the Savior. Two, This, to me, represents progressive revelation. It seems to me that we still have much to learn about God, and some of our earlier notions of him may yet undergo modification. Three, the early Hebrew notion of the colored people with whom they had contact in the Mediterranean basin was quite naturally that those people were inferior to themselves as a consequence of their extreme ethnocentrism. Why did they not have something to say about the Japanese or Chinese or the American Indian? To me, the answer is that they did not know that these groups existed, but one can be pretty certain that if they had known about them, they would have developed some similar explanation regarding their origin to that concerning the Negro, and would have assigned them to a position less exalted than their own. 4. And once these things got written down, institutionalized, they assume an aura of the sacred. I refer in this respect not only to the scripture, but to more secular documents as well, the Constitution of the United States, for instance which many people do not want to change regardless of apparent needs. So we are in the position, it seems to me, of accepting a doctrine regarding the Negro, which was enunciated by the Hebrews during a very early stage in their development. Moreover, and this is the important matter to me, it does not square with what seems an acceptable standard of justice today, nor with the letter or spirit of the teachings of Jesus Christ. I cannot find any support for such a doctrine of inequality in his recorded sayings. I am deeply troubled. Having decided through earnest study that one of the chief causes of war is the existence of ethnocentrism among peoples of the world, that war is our major social evil which threatens to send all of us to destruction, and that we can ameliorate these feelings of ethnocentrism by promoting understanding of one people by others, I am now confronted with this doctrine of my own church which says in effect that white supremacy is part of God's plan for his children, that the Negro has been assigned by him to be a hewer of wood and drawer of water for his white-skinned brethren. This makes us nominal allies of the Rankins and the Bilbos of Mississippi, a quiet, unhappy alliance for me, I assure you. Um, and I, I think I Googled this, um, and they were, uh, hold on, let me Google it again, because they're ra- I know that they're racist. Let me just, okay, together with politicians such as James Vardaman and Theodore Bilbo, John Rankin belonged to that group of Mississippi demagogues who represented the raw edge of racism in U.S. politics. Uh, While others tried to couch their segregationist ideas in rhetoric about states' rights, Rankin openly expressed his hatred of Jews, blacks, and communists. At the same time, he presented himself as a populist who spoke for the rights of the common man. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so that's what Larry Nelson is saying. He's like, you're making us allies with these extreme racists, and I'm not okay with that. Gross. Okay, the letter continues on. This doctrine pressed to its logical conclusion would say that Dr. George Washington Carver, the late eminent and saintly Negro scientist, is by virtue of the color of his skin inferior even to the least admirable white person, not because of the virtues he may or may not possess, but because, through no fault of his, there is a dark pigment in his skin. All of the people of India, who are not Negroes according to ethnological authority but are Aryan, would presumably come under the Negro classification. 
I think of the intelligent, high-minded, clean-living Hindu who was a member of the international committee over which I had the honor to preside at Geneva from August 4th to 10th this year. He drank not, smoked not. His ethical standards were such that you and I could applaud him. Where should he rank vis-a-vis -vis the least reliable and least admirable white person in Farron? Or I could name you a real Negro with equal qualifications. Now you say that the social side of the restored gospel is only an incident of it. It is not the end thereof. I may not have the same concept as social as you had in mind, but it seems to me the only virtue we can recognize in men is that expressed in their relations with others, that is, their social relations. Are the virtues of honesty, chastity, humility, forgiveness, tolerance, love, kindness, justice, secondary? If so, what is primary? Love of God? Very well, but the second law is like unto it. I must beg your forgiveness for this intrusion upon your time. I realize that I am only one among hundreds of thousands with whom you have to be concerned. My little troubles I must try to work out myself. But I desire to be understood. That's why I have gone to such length to set down here the steps in my thinking. I am trying to be honest with myself and with others. I am trying to find my way in what is a very confused world. After seeing the devastation of Europe this summer, World War II, I am appalled by the sight of it and the contemplation of what mankind can collectively do to himself, unless somehow we, collectively, the human family, can put love of each other above hatred and somehow come to a mutual respect based upon understanding and recognize that others, although they may be different from us, are not by that fact alone inferior. Are we becoming so legalistic after the fashion of the Pharisees that we cannot adjust our institutions to the changing needs of mankind? Are we, as some have charged, more Hebraic than Christian? Sincerely, your brother, Lowry Nelson, Professor Sociology. I wish I could attend his class. <laughs> yeah. Like, I admire that he's writing this letter at all. Like, he says, I am deeply troubled by all of this, and I, uh, I cannot find any support in any of this. And the doctrine of equality, I really like the story where he's like, okay, so so Ham tried to help his dad and he got cursed. Like, what's that yeah. about? Like. <laughs> That'd be like, um, like trying to help your drunk dad get in this, get in the house and then he kicks you off the will. Curses you. <laughs> yeah. He's like, and this all makes... your children forever yeah. shall be shunned. Yeah. He's like, this makes no sense. Also, like how people live socially, that's a huge part of who we are. Right? Well, and I like all those descriptions, um, honesty, chastity, humility, forgiveness, tolerance, love, kindness, and justice, those all have to do with how we are with other people, like how yeah. we interact oh, with yeah. other people. This is That's not a, a, a no man is an island yeah. kind of situation. I had a lot of thoughts. I also like this line right here. White supremacy is part of God's plan for his children. Like, ew. Like, he's saying that. He's, he doesn't mean that, but, like, he's confronted with that's the church's outlook. Like, the Negro has been assigned by him, by God to be a hewer of wood and a drawer of water for, his white, for the white people. Like, ew. And also the sitting on the fence idea that they did not yeah, take a stand. I heard, I heard that, I heard that, I heard that a, lot. a lot growing up. Like, in seminary, my teacher was t telling us those things. Yeah. Gross, gross. Okay, so... October, November. So the next letter is November 12th of 1947. And it's... Oh, the next month. It's really short. So this is my turn because it's the church. So this is the seventh letter. This is this was sent November 12th of 1947. So what did we say a month later? Mm -hmm. Okay, and this is um, from the First Presidency to Dr. Nelson. Dr. Lowry Nelson, University of Minnesota, Department of Agriculture, um, University Farm, St. Paul, 1, Minnesota. <laughs> Dear Brother Nelson, we have your letter of October 8th and further development of the matter discussed in your earlier letter. We feel very sure that you understand well the doctrines of the church, as he's quoting everything back to them. They are either true or not true. Our testimony is that they are true. Under these circumstances, we may not permit ourselves to be too much impressed by the reasonings of men, however well-founded they may seem to be. <sighs> we should like to say this to you in all kindness and in all sincerity that you are too fine a man to permit yourself to be led off from the principles of the gospel by worldly learning. You have too much of a potentiality for doing good, and we therefore prayerfully hope that you can reorient your thinking and bring it in line with the revealed word of God. Faithfully yours, the First Presidency, 
G. Albert Smith signed. This sounds like cult leaders. This is thought stopping. This uh -huh. is telling him to stop learning. Uh, again, I keep thinking about the LGBTQ kind of stuff or like any minority. Like, whoa, like you have a lot of worldly learning there, pal. Like under these circumstances, we may not permit ourselves to be too much impressed by the reasonings of men. However, well-founded they you, seem. You have a lot of potential and um, we hope that you can reorient Ew, that was your gross. thinking. Fix your way of thinking so that it falls in line with what we want and what we're telling you. Um, okay, so this next one is not a letter, but it falls in place with the timeline. I yeah, okay, so so this is not, this is a, um, what do you call this? A message from the first presidency. And, and on the slides I put down, it looks like the family proclamation. Somebody else did this. This isn't how it was released, but somebody did this, I'm sure, to, to catch people's attention, to be like, this was an actual statement from the first presidency. This is actual doctrine, just as much, no, probably more so than the family proclamation, because that one was never, that's not canonized. Like it's hanging on everyone's wall, but it's not canonized. And that was only created to combat same-sex marriage in the first place. So like, anyway, so they write this letter to Nelson. They're like, you need to reorient your way of thinking. And then they have this first presidency message, which I felt was worth and putting in here because it's right after this letter was written. Yeah, so this is the church. August 17th, 1949, the first presidency. The attitude of the church with reference to the Negroes remains as it has always stood. It is not a matter of the declaration of a policy, but of direct commandment from the Lord, on which is founded the doctrine of the church from the days of its organization, to the effect that Negroes may become members of the church, but that they are not entitled to the priesthood at the present time. The prophets of the Lord have made several statements as to the operation of the principle. President Brigham Young said, Why are so many inhabitants of the earth cursed with the skin of blackness? It comes in consequence of their fathers rejecting the power of the holy priesthood and the law of God. They will go down to death. And when all the rest of the children have received their blessings in the holy priesthood, then that curse will be removed from the seed of Cain, and they will then come up and possess the priesthood and receive all the blessings which we are now entitled to. President Wilford Woodruff made the following statement, The day will come when all that race will be redeemed and possess all the blessings which we now have. The position of the church regarding the Negro may be understood when another doctrine of the church is kept in mind, namely that the conduct of spirits in the premortal existence has some determining effect upon the conditions and circumstances under which these spirits take on mortality, and that while the details of this principle have not been made known, the mortality is a privilege that is given to those who maintain their first estate, and that the worth of the privilege is so great that spirits are willing to come to earth and take on bodies no matter what the handicap may be as to the kind of bodies they are to secure, and that among the handicaps, failure of the right to enjoy immortality the blessings of the priesthood is a handicap which spirits are willing to assume in order that they might come to earth. Under this principle, there is no injustice whatsoever involved in this deprivation as to the holding of the priesthood by the Negroes. So not only is he saying um, that they're less worthy, he's also calling them handicapped. Yeah, they're, he's calling black skin a handicap. And not being able to have the priesthood. The, the only, uh, what is the definition of a handicap? <laughs> okay, so a circumstance that makes progress or success difficult. Like, so there are people that have handicaps. Like if you, like, like even from like being colorblind, when you can't see the colors, when the light's changing, like, there's a whole slew of handicaps. And to be fair, being black does make success difficult. No, yeah, but but, but only because we have these views. Like, that's so stupid. It's a handicap because we're making it a handicap. It doesn't have to be. Not if the world was the way Lowry Nelson thinks it should be. Yeah. Okay. Also, that, that line where he says, when all the rest of the children have received their blessings in the Holy Priesthood, then the curse will be removed from the seed. So, like, as soon as everyone has come to earth and every person in existence has received the blessings of the Holy Priesthood, then they can get the priesthood. Which makes it seem like there's a finite amount of priesthood available. And so we've got to give it to um, the white people the first. The white people first. And then the black people can That's get really it later, gross. maybe. That's really gross. But President Wilford Woodruff said the day will come when all that race will be redeemed and possess all the blessings. Like, you can just decide. You can just decide. Which is what happened. Which is what happened. <laughs> but only for a specific reason. But anyway. Okay, so, next. so the last letter was from May 23rd of 1952. So a long time later. So the last letter was 47. 
and then this last letter is 52. So the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Office of the First Presidency, Salt Lake City, 1, Utah. Mr. Lowry Nelson, 1075 14th Avenue, Southeast, Minneapolis, 14, Minnesota. Dear Brother Nelson, Your letter without date addressed to President McKay was duly received, with which you transmitted an article which you say you intend to publish. President McKay wishes me to say that obviously you are entirely within your rights to publish any article you wish. I should like to add on my own account, however, that when a member of the church sets himself up against doctrines preached by the prophet Joseph Smith and by those who have succeeded him in the high office which he held, he is moving into a very dangerous position for himself personally. Sincerely yours, Joseph Anderson, signed, Secretary of the First Presidency. When did Larry Nelson die? He died in 1986. Oh, God, he lived. Whew. Oh, you're wondering if he got blood atoned or something? Yeah. <laughs> 1978 is when they got the preset, so he, he saw that, right? Larry Nelson. Okay, so yeah, there's just that little thread at the end. It was so awful. He's like, yeah, of course you can do, you have agency. You can publish, publish whatever you want. But it's a bad but, idea. But also, like, whoever goes up against the doctrines preached by Joseph Smith, and by those who succeeded him, I can list off like 10 things that Joseph Smith taught one way and then we teach differently now, or that is taught differently now. They're giving themselves an out because by those who have succeeded him in the high office, like don't question any of the prophets. They all did the exact right thing. It is a very dangerous position for himself personally. Creepy. Just considering like what we've been studying about Brigham Young and the Blood Atonement and the Mountain Meadows Massacre, that's threatening and scary. Yeah, like people literally th feared for their lives. That was in 52. So in 54, just to, get, just to get a little bit more. So David M. K., there has never been a doctrine in this church of the Negroes are under divine curse, except for why would he say that? They literally just reiterated that. Yeah, so two years later, David O. McKay says, There is not now, and there never has been, a doctrine in this church that the Negroes are under a divine curse. There is no doctrine in the church of any kind pertaining to the Negro. We believe that we have a special precedent for withholding the priesthood from the Negro. It is a practice, not a doctrine, and the practice someday will be changed, and that's all there is to it. Okay, but you, you just contradicted the other prophet who said, this is a doctrine never questioned by the church leaders. Joseph Fielding Smith in, 1940, in 1954, the same year, he is saying that black people are born with disadvantages from the white people. Anyway, there's a, we, this is a whole different episode. Um, our, I don't know how to end this. I don't know how to end final. I don't know how to give final words for this because it's so bad. In conclusion, the church is really, really racist and they stood by it when somebody called it out. And then abandoned it a few years later? And Did even, Larry Nelson get, um... Did uh, he stay with the church? What? Did he get excommunicated? I don't know. What are you typing in? This is a random website. Okay, this, according to this person on the internet, it says, In the foreword of Nelson's memoir, Don Martindale accurately explained that Lowry Nelson started the agitation in the Mormon church that eventually led to liberalization of its policy on blacks. By publishing the 1952 Mormons and the Negro in The Nation, a national magazine, he publicized for the first time the church's position. I linked it in the original post, but I wanted to include some of my transcribed notes of his words that stood out to me. Quote, this unfortunate policy of the church is a source of embarrassment and humiliation to thousands of its members, the writer among them, who find no basis for it in the teachings of Jesus. Quote, the basic question remains as to whether the church will modify its present stand on this matter. Quote, a very real difficulty is the fact that those who disapprove the church's attitude have no way of expressing their point of view. Most members give a passive assent. My knowledge of the deep humanitarianism of the Mormon people leads me to think that if the question could be openly discussed, they would line up on the side of justice. Such open discussion, especially in print, however, is a perilous undertaking for any member. It automatically leaves him open to the charge of disobedience to a constituted authority, which may lead to his being excommunicated. Even though many are having this discuss these discussions are not disloyal members, but active, and who wage the many admirable features of the church against those with which they disagree. Lowry writes in the spirit of constructive criticism. Um, Nelson was wise enough to give the brethren a way out by referring to the church's position in the article as a policy, which David O. McKay ran with while he was president of the church, rather than doctrine, which was the language used by George Albert Smith while he was church president in his letters to Lowry, and also in the first presidency statement published in 1949, about two years before yeah. David O. McKay became president of the, of the church. Yep, so, yeah. 
Okay, we should probably um, reference to this website no, that we just yeah, read. I can... 1952 Mormons and the Negro in the Nation magazine. Are there things we want to add? And um, we have to end this somehow. I know, but hang on. So he did not get excommunicated? Um, it, it does not show that he got excommunicated. So he didn't get excommunicated for this, which is pretty good. So it sounds like I need to buy this book in the direction of his dreams, Memoirs by Lowry Nelson, so to get a better idea of what was happening. Or in this book, they talk about how, like, he, he tries to get the way out. Lowry's like, this isn't backed up by doctrine. This isn't backed up by Jesus or the scriptures. And it's a policy. So there's the door. Get rid of Please this doctrine. do something about it. And, then and how they, long did it take? Another wait, so he, 30 years. Yeah. The church is like, uh-uh. We we're going to hold on tighter. Yeah. And also, he, he did live, right? He did live to see the blacks get the priesthood. That's beautiful. I'm very, I'm very happy that... He saw that, and especially if he never got like if he never left the church, he he can't have he can't have maintained total belief. I think I I, I would have struggled so much. We need to study Larry Nelson. He seems like a very interesting character. Yeah, so that's probably that's on my list. Anyway, so please forgive our learning along with you, unless you're a listener who knows everything. In which case, one of these next times we can go over. Um, not, I don't want to ever do comprehensive stuff because, or I mean, I won't ever say that I have all the evidence of the racism in the church, but on my website, I have a good chunk. And so maybe we can go through all of those and break it down from the birth of the church to now, or until at least 1978, if not now, because I still feel like the church has, is still holding on to some degree. So yeah, if you want more information on the, um, racism in the church, go to analyzingmormonism.com, go to the, uh, racism section. Mm -hmm. um also there there's connections to your patreon oh yeah um also of course follow on tiktok and instagram and please follow on youtube that is the hardest one yes so uh, okay so take care everyone and we'll try to revisit this again next week okay bye guys <laughs>